0: If you want to be successful and fulfilled in your work, you must tap into your gifts. And that can't happen if you don't know what those gifts are. Patrick Lincioni. Hey everyone, I am Cal and welcome to a brand new episode of Intentional Living and Leadership where we help you lead yourself, inspire others, and make the world a better place. I believe that you and I have a unique contribution to make to the world and I hope that this podcast can be a community to help you stay focused and find inspiration in an often challenging world. I was talking to a friend the other day. We were discussing just how, no matter how great your intentions are, No matter how motivated you are, it's so difficult sometimes to remain mission focused, to remain focused on your purpose. It's easy to get discouraged. It's easy to get selfish. And so I hope that this community can be a place that you can come back to, to recharge and to find that inspiration to go and make that difference that the world needs. I want to give a special thank you to all of you that have shared this podcast with a friend or who have taken a few minutes to rate or review this on Apple podcast. I almost feel weird asking for that, but I, I just am so thankful because that helps us spread the word. It helps us get exposure to new people and encourage more people and bring more people into this community. And thank you to all of you that have sent me emails to provide encouragement and feedback. Uh, I'm so sorry if I have not responded to you. My current job has been really demanding. As of late, I promise I will get back to you. I'm one of those guys who sometimes gets behind on emails, I get an email that's really thoughtful and I don't want to just send a flippant response. I want to I want it to think about it and, and provide equally as meaningful of a response to you. So I'm so sorry if I haven't gotten back to you. I promise I will. If you'd like to send me an email, you can send me an email at Cal at calwalters.me, just cal at calwalters.me, and I'll get back to you. And I really appreciate all of those. Uh, Friends, I have a special treat for you today. People who know me well and have really listened to this show for a long time know that I am a huge fan of Patrick Lincioni. I discovered his work back in 2014 when my wife's company gave out one of his books, The Advantage, I crushed that book. And since reading that book, I've devoured everything that I can get my hands on by Pat. I've read his book, The Five Dysfunctions of a Team, Death by Meeting, The Motive, The Ideal Team Player. I listened to his podcast, At the Table with Patrick Lane Shoney, which I highly recommend every week without fail. And Pat is just one of the incredible thought leaders in the world of leadership and organizational health. He's one of the founders of The Table Group. He is the Pioneer of the organizational health movement. He's the author of 11 books and he's sold over 6 million copies. And his books have been translated into more than 30 languages. The Wall Street Journal said that he is one of the most in demand business speakers. And you and I get a chance to spend an hour with him right now. Pat is really excited about this brand new concept that he and his team are launching this week. If you're listening to this episode in October of 2020, this is a brand new concept. It's called the Six Working Genius. Pat says that he thinks this is going to be bigger than the five dysfunctions of a team. It's an incredible tool that helps you and I identify what we're really good at and those parts of work that's frustrating for us. I love this assessment. I I had the opportunity to take the assessment. Pat and I discuss my results. We talk about his results on this. We also dive into the organizational health movement, how to create what he calls vulnerability based trust, which sounds really soft, but it's not, I promise why the right kind of conflict on a team could be a sign of health and much more. This was so, so much fun for me to speak with one of the all-time great leadership thinkers. If you'd like to check out the show notes, just go to my website, calwalters.me. During this episode, Pat tells you how you can go and do this assessment for the six working geniuses and gives a discount code. So please check that out. Without any further ado, please enjoy this conversation with the great Patrick Lincioni. Well, Pat Lincioni, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for being here today. Cal, it's really great to be with you. I've I've been looking forward to this. I'm so pumped. Actually, I feel like I know you uh, because most days I have to be at work at about 6.15 and we do our physical training at at Fort Bragg and I get my cup of coffee, I hop in the car, typically around 5.15. And I'm not going to lie, I'm a, normally a little grumpy around that time of day. My coffee hasn't quite, <laughs> hasn't quite kicked in. But you and Cody Thompson really uh, bring the energy on your podcast at the table with Patrick Lynch, Johnny. So I'm, I feel like I know you. Uh, thank you for putting that podcast on. H- how are you liking doing the podcast?
1: You know, I, Cody and I enjoy each other a lot. And so we, we, we love to think about what do people might, what are they going to be interested in hearing about? And just we talk about, it's, it's really fun. Cause it feels like just uh, sitting and having coffee with a friend or a guest and talking about something that we think is, is neat. We're the passion. We're passionate about what we're doing. So that's what makes it, you know, that, you know,
0: that. yeah, well, it, it's so good. And I love that it's short. So for all the listeners out there, next time you're tempted to check out my podcast, going over to the table group and listen to that, I promise you will be well-served. I'm curious, Pat, where did your interest, just your personal interest in organizational health in helping employees feel fulfilled? Where does that come from for you personally?
1: You know, it it actually came from my childhood. I remember as a kid, my dad, God rest his soul, he um, worked for the same company for 40 years. He was really good at what he did. He was a salesman, didn't go to college, but um, he would come home every night from work and be kind of grumpy. And he would talk about like his manager and management. I was like eight or nine years old. I didn't really know what a manager was. Certainly didn't know anything about management, but I remember thinking, why does that frustrate my dad? And he has to be at work for like 10 hours a day. And what is this whole idea of going to work, coming home and being less enthusiastic about life as a result of it? And I just thought that's really dumb. And, and I re- even as a kid, I thought that, that just seems silly. But of course, I wasn't going to do anything about that, I didn't think. And then I got my own first job, and um, like in high school, and that was a grind. And I decided I got to go to college and get a good job. And then what I got your, a really job good in high job. School? I was a busboy at a restaurant. Okay. But the very first job I ever had was in junior high. I, I had to go out into the oil fields and, and set up targets for shooting practice for people at a range and then dive into a, into a foxhole, essentially, while they shot bullets over our head. That was really great. That was probably my greatest motivator for college of all. <laughs> so I go to college, and I, I get out of college, and I get, like, the best job in America. There was a book written in 1987— about the best places to work. And I got the job at the number one management consulting firm, the best place to get a job. And I thought I'd been set. Mm. And then I realized, oh my gosh, this is miserable because it just it wasn't well managed and it wasn't a good fit for me. And, and I remember thinking, oh wow, what's the deal here? And what's, the, what's wrong with these companies? And so as a management consultant, I was working with clients and we had a client firm and they were full of politics and they were really dysfunctional. And we were wasting their money doing projects that they weren't even able to use because they were so political. And I remember I was 23 years old, or 22, and I said to the people that I worked with, hey, we should help them with this political stuff. And they said, nah, they don't pay us for that. And that's when I said, I was probably 22 or 23, I said, I want to do that for a living. I want to help organizations get rid of this human stuff. Because all the intelligence in the world doesn't matter if they're If they're dysfunctional and um and you know that in the from the from the military um you know i will tell you i got the chance to go to west point with my dad before he died one of the great memories of my life and speak at a formal dinner there and oh wow and it was great my dad wept he was i mean my dad wasn't a very touchy-feely guy but he was he was so proud and um i came to learn about how humble and how healthy so much goes on in the military Mm -hmm. and how much about leadership that we've learned from, from the academies and from what goes on in the military. And most people don't understand that. You'd think you'd go to West Point and everybody would be an ego-driven, <laughs> testosterone-laden person that wants to rip your head off. And it was so humble and so thoughtful. And so anyway, that's a long answer to your question. That's kind of how I got into this. And, um, and then from there, I just keep going deeper and deeper because I love it.
0: Yeah. And I think that some, we, uh, certainly there are great examples in the military of leadership and there are poor examples, but I do think the great examples of often stem from something you talk a lot about. And it really is trust. It's this trust that I have to have hundred percent trust that the person to my left or to my right is going to do what I expect them to do. And if they're not going to do it, I'm going to call them on it. And we're going to hold each other to a really high Standard. I think you talk a lot about that in your work. You, di- you just mentioned two things, Pat, that I'd like for you to explain. One is you mentioned humble, and you also mentioned healthy. Can you tell us what you mean when you use those words, humble and healthy?
1: Yeah, humble is essentially just, it's never about you. It's about others. And And um, that's a fundamental thing. Humility is at the heart of everything we teach and do with our clients at the table group and everything I write about, whether it's leadership or teamwork. And that is, you can't trust somebody and be trusted if you are not humble enough to recognize that it's not all about you. And of course, faith is at the heart of that for me, because what do you humble yourself to? And it's to God. I'm not God. So who am I to think I'm important? And so that's what we mean by humble. Healthy means an organization is sound, that, that people are they, they work well together, that the team in charge is cohesive. They're all clear and aligned around what they're trying to do. They communicate well with one another, and there's just enough structure in place to hold it all together. So that's really what, what, what we do is all about. You know, I wanna go back and say something. I don't get a chance to talk about this very much. Years ago, my book, The Five Dysfunctions of a Team, which is the bestseller of all my books, Years ago, we got a call from a, a platoon in Afghanistan mm. and they asked us to send, um, we sent a box of books to them. And to think that there were people in, at a base in Afghanistan trying to learn from a fictional account of a high-tech executive, this woman who's the, the CEO, and they were like trying to learn this so they could better serve the country in, in Afghanistan. It, was, it just blew us away. Mm. And, and the fact that they were humble enough to learn from me When here, I was at West Point going, oh my gosh, I want to learn from you. That says something about all of this. Yes. Uh, Well,
0: it's the stuff that you teach. You know, I remember my wife's software company gave out your book, The Advantage. At that point, I'd been graduated from West Point. I'd been through ranger school. I'd been a platoon leader in combat. I had gone to law school. So I'd done a lot of stuff in the army, but I'd never heard anyone. I remember where I was, I was in the Raleigh airport listening to the advantage on my AirPods, And you talked about vulnerability based trust. And I was like, what is this? What is this vulnerability based trust? And, and it just really struck a chord with me. I'm like, wow, this is what we need. We really need this. And I think sometimes uh, that's a hard thing though. It, It sounds soft. Uh, yeah, I was just going to
1: say, yeah. right away, people are like, where's this guy from? Oh, the San Francisco Bay Area. We're going to get <laughs> naked and hold hands and, and hug. And, and I'm not touchy-feely. <laughs> so there is nothing. That's the first thing I say to CEOs, Cal, when I meet them. I's like, by the way, I'm not going to do any of that Marin <laughs> County touchy-feely crap. And they're like, okay, good, because I was a little worried.
0: <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean, though, when you, say, when you use vulnerability-based trust? What, what does that look like in a, in a healthy
1: team? Well, too many people think trust is is what I call predictive trust, which means I've known you for years, Cal, so I know this, if I say this, this is how you're going to react. Our team has been together for a long time, so basically we can predict one another's behaviors. That's not what makes a team great. What makes a team great is when people can be completely vulnerable. I like to say buck naked with one another about what they're good at, what they're not good at. They'll admit it when they make a mistake. They'll acknowledge when they need help. They'll even – they'll even – Acknowledge when somebody's better than they are at something, or they'll apologize when they make. It's all very practical because when you know the people you're around in your platoon, in your department at work, in your church or your school that you work with, when you know that everyone there is capable of saying, "I'm sorry, I was wrong," or "I need help," or "You're better than I am at this. I I want to learn from you," or even "I think I I made a huge mistake." When everybody knows that everyone else will do that, trust is goes through the roof. And now nobody thinks people are protecting themselves or saying things that they don't really mean. They can argue well, you know, and that's what I love talking about the military. It's like when you're in battle or in a rescue mission or in a in in a very difficult situation, you do not have time to to ask, should I say this to them? How are they going to react? Am I going to get them in trouble? (laughs) And it's like you have to speak up. Well, if people are going to get offended when you say, "Dude, that's not good enough," mm. everything falls apart. Mm. And I, I just watched a movie. I don't know what um, it just came out, and it's about a, a base in Afghanistan. It's called the the Outpost. Have you seen mm. this? I haven't seen that. No. So so, gosh, I gotta remember the who's the guy, the actor that was in uh, Pirates of the Caribbean, and oh, um, Johnny Depp, maybe. No, the other one, the no, guy that. Uh... Shoots
0: Oh, goodness. I know his name, but I can't the think of it. The beautiful one. Yeah. <laughs>
1: exactly. Anyway, he was also with <laughs> Lord of the wanders. Rings.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. yes. Anyway, I exactly. He,
1: he is one of the – and they go through four commanders in this one just mm. awful base that's been shut down. It's like in a ravine at the bottom of a hill. They, they get fired on every night. It's like They just felt like it was a suicide mission. But it's amazing to see how these guys dealt with this and how every commander came through. Their leadership style differed. One guy was not vulnerable and, and he was all about covering his butt and, and they didn't, they weren't honest. And it was such a great, mm-hmm. um, t- it's a great study in leadership and teamwork mm-hmm. and the things that these people did for one another in such a dangerous, difficult environment. That's the kind of thing it's like, if people will do that, then when I work at an accounting firm, I should be able to turn to somebody and say, Hey, Bob, you got to work a little faster there. Or Hey, Janet, I don't think that uh, you were honest with me when we talked about that. I swear people are more afraid of that hmm. than they are of being in a forward mission and having to to call on people to help them. It's, it's We have so much we can learn from people in the military and the police and firefighters who deal with crisis and really difficult things. So, how, how have you, Pat, on your team
0: built this kind of vulnerability-based trust? Because I think there are people that – Maybe like the idea,
1: but just don't know how to do it in practice. Well, well, first of all, if I can't be vulnerable, then it's over. so You as the leader, you mean? The leader has to go first. Okay. The leader has to be willing to say, "You can call me on my my stuff. I will admit when I'm wrong. I will apologize because I can't expect you guys to do it, you guys and gals, if I don't do it." Yeah. So the leader has to go first. That doesn't mean I'm perfect at it. Doesn't mean I've always been good at it. And then I have to demand that they do it too. So I, I cannot be tolerant of people not being vulnerable. So if I have somebody on my team who makes a mistake and blames it on somebody else, that's not tolerable. You, you know, there's a difference between sins of commission and sins of omission. Sins of commission is when you do something bad, and, and, and that's bad. But sins of omission are when you allow other people to do things that are bad and you don't say anything. And so if I see somebody on my team not admitting when they make a mistake or not apologizing when they do something wrong or not acknowledging when somebody else has a better idea, if I tolerate that, I am committing my team to a dysfunction. Mm -hmm. And so I have to be the backstop for not allowing that to happen. And if I do that, pretty soon my team members do it with each other. See, that's the beauty. A great leader is not the most, is not the primary source of accountability, Cal, A great leader is the ultimate source, but they create an environment where people on the team hold each other accountable. And that's one of the things I see. No, no soldier wants to go and say, Hey, captain, I'm not, don't tell him I told you, but this guy, you turn to them and you go, Hey, that's, you can do better. Yeah. And that's how every organization should be.
0: Yeah. And I think that really requires you to be able to lean into the discomfort of that conversation. How do you, how does that look? Because I've heard you talk about this a good bit. It's about really embracing healthy conflict uh, around ideas, not, ar- not around people. And if you don't embrace conflict around ideas, then it ultimately leads to conflict between people. But what does that look like? Because I, I, I sometimes struggle with, because I haven't been a part of the table group. I, don't, I haven't been in, in some of these organizations. But what does it really look like in one of your meetings to embrace this type of conflict that's really healthy,
1: I love that you asked that. So we're, we are unique in this because we really try to eat our own stuff. I don't know if it's eating your own dog food or drinking your own champagne. I don't <laughs> like champagne. That sounds snooty, but we try to partake of what we, what we sell. Uh-huh. And um, so we'll have somebody come visit. Like if you came to our office, Cal, honestly, we would go, hey, why don't you come to one of our staff meetings? And you'd be really? And they would go, yeah. And we would not hold back. We've had people come to our staff meetings and they'll leave and they're going to go. And, they, and they'll come to me and they'll go, are you are you gonna clean that up and we're like no, oh, there's nothing to clean up we're fine and they'll go you're kidding because every meeting we have is there's discomfort somebody will go i'm a little frustrated you guys at this and somebody will go well you know you, you got to understand and people will go that was intense and we're like oh no that's actually just how we interact wow so and and yeah,
0: then, how do you do that but it's like, real
1: what? What does it look like
0: though? So you, you go into a meeting. Let's I get like, what's the last meeting that you guys had? Okay. Cause I just, I can't, I mean, I get that idea, but I still struggle. Cause I just have never experienced it.
1: Like, what does it really look like okay. in the room? We had one, I think it was yesterday where I, I, I went and I sat down with the team that's building this new product that we're doing. Yeah. And I said, Hey, I think that, um, I don't think we're getting, making progress on this enough. I think we need mm-hmm. to push these people more on, on this marketing thing. Mm-hmm. And Cody, one of my colleagues, well, Cody, you know, Cody from yeah. the podcast. Yeah. And Cody said, no, no, I'm pushing them. And I said, no, Cody, I think actually, I get mm-hmm. it. Well, we need to push them even harder because they're going to come up with, and he's like, you know, Pat, I feel like you're, you're, you're telling me I'm not working hard enough. And I've been mm-hmm. busting my butt. And I'm like, no, 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 Cody. Hey, okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> you are definitely working hard. Wow. I'm just coming into this objectively. And I think you could probably even get a little bit more out of this. He's like, okay, I, I get what you're saying. I could, I could give it a shot, but you know I've been pushing. I'm like, totally. So I don't I didn't want to question wow. you. See, that happened in three minutes. Wow. And he know what I knew what I meant. It, at first it came across like I was questioning his work ethic. Yeah. What I was just questioning was whether or not this this vendor really understood what we were looking for. Yeah that conversation would have taken three days or three weeks in some organizations where you hint at it. Then somebody says something else and then you Mm -hmm. get a little perturbed, but you don't say it. And we just go right there.
0: Wow. That I, man, there's so much I love about that because I feel like so much of that would have gone unsaid too. It would have just percolated behind the scenes. You would have said that Cody would have felt, Oh man, Pat doesn't trust me. He doesn't think I'm working hard enough. He doesn't see everything I'm doing. But he just was able to be honest up front. And then you were able to clarify, hey, no, I'm not saying that. I don't think you're working hard enough. I, I see everything you're doing. Wow.
1: And, and sometimes I might be rude to him. and mm-hmm. then, But right after, I'll go, I'm sorry. That, that wasn't right. I'm sorry. I'm struggling right now. I'm, and, and then we forgive fast. We ask for forgiveness quickly, and we mm. forgive fast. Mm. And that, so that means we cycle through it. For those people, that, again, this isn't soft, this allows us to cycle through issues very quickly and get things done quickly and get to the result we want. So there's nothing soft about it. You know, we just hired two guys out of college. One is my son, Matt and his buddy, Liam, great kids, great kids. And they came to work. This is their first job. And we'd sit down at a table with them and they'd be like, wow, (laughs) crap. What is this? Exactly. And now they're just like
0: unfazed by it all. (laughs) <laughs> Pat, I think you guys need to film these. I think this would be an
1: incredible show for most people to watch. We have talked about that. <laughs> Somebody actually approached us recently about doing like a <laughs> pseudo reality show. And, and we, we would only do it if it didn't seem self-promotional or yeah. cheesy. Yeah. You know, some of those shows, they, they like edit it out to so where you make it look like cheese balls. But anyway.
0: Yeah. And I think for anyone that's confused by this discussion and hasn't really read some of this work, it's not conflict for conflict's sake. It's no. it's this idea too and you talk about the five dysfunctions it's about getting commitment it's about not having these decisions too that are just kind of hanging out there that never get decided and people don't have the opportunity to be honest it's about getting clarity and then moving forward and people having the opportunity to at least you know speak their speak their
1: voice in these before these decisions are really made you know, and I think you hit on something before about discomfort. Avoiding discomfort only mm-hmm. makes it bigger and l- makes it last longer. So the only thing worse than Cody saying to me, "Man, it sounds like you're telling me I'm not working hard enough," is him thinking that, not mm-hmm. saying it, harboring yeah. that, me noticing that he's feeling bad, mm-hmm. and for weeks having this subtle tension that's yeah. not resolved. What so do you say? Yeah, we gotta you say,
0: lance that boil. What do you say, Pat, to people who really, really struggle with that? Who really just. The idea of discomfort is never something that they want to lean into. How, and maybe you have people on your team that that are like that. How do you get them to to lean into it? Some people probably more naturally will lean into that. But what about the folks that have a hard time?
1: Yeah, and, and certainly if you were to talk to the people in my organization based on their, their personality profiles or their family history or whatever else, some of them didn't do that at all. In fact, some of them learned to do it at work better than they do, and then they brought it to their family. And their husbands or wives will laugh and go, oh, yeah, we... The table group has really impacted the way we talk about things at home in a good way. Uh But what we do is we, like when we work with a leadership team, that's many, most leadership teams aren't comfortable with this because it's uncomfortable. And then when they get better at it, they're like, this is the best thing ever. But Mm -hmm. so we, we start them off slowly, like literally in a two day offsite, we will ask them to share something about their personal life. Just something not terribly sensitive, but something real about their, like being a kid. What was hard about being a kid for you? And right away we go, I did this last night with some people. And, and, and I was like, did you know this stuff about each other before? And they're like, Nope. Wow. And they're, and they're like, but that's really amazing. I really admire that. about." I had no idea that your dad died when you were young or that you guys moved all the time or that you struggled with somebody in, a, in your family with mental illness or whatever else it is. And then they're like, wow, I'm looking at like, I, I have different respect. Then we say, okay, let's figure out your personality profile. And then they say, well, I'm, my personality profile is this. I can be very impatient and stubborn. And people go, you're kidding. You, so you know that? Oh, yeah, it's right here in black and white. I, I'm, I'm this way at home too. My wife or my husband tells me all the time. And they're like, so we're allowed to call you on that? Oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah, I'd be fine. And <laughs> suddenly they're going, wow, what? 20 minutes ago would have been uncomfortable. You've just told me that this is how I grew up and this is my pro- profile. So if you see me do this, just know I'm aware of it. And they're like, and by the end of two days, because then we'll talk about their business, they are teasing each other and calling each other out on stuff that in the past they wouldn't have mentioned, they'd have just harbored resentment for. And they'll go like, hey, you know that stubborn thing we talked about yesterday? You're doing it right now, you know? And they're like, I know. So we teach them slowly to do it. And then, then it's up to the leader to just keep saying to people, hey, let's do it again. Let's have that difficult conversation. I really, I want to get to this uh,
0: six types of working genius. But before we do that, I want to get you to clarify, because I think this all gets us at this idea of the fundamental attribution error. Oh, yeah. Can you talk about that
1: and, and what that means and what that looks like on a team? Yeah, I was, I told these people I was working with last night about this. So the fundamental attribution error it sounds very sophisticated. It's not. It's very simple. I learned it in social psych in, in college. So <laughs> over 30 years ago, I learned this. And it's one of the few things I remember <laughs> The fundamental attribution error just says that we tend to judge other people when someone else does something that we don't like, we tend to attribute it, the attribution we make is to their character, that they have a flaw, a fundamental flaw. If we do something that other people don't like, we attribute it to our environment. So the best example is you're driving down the street, we can all relate to this, and some guy cuts us off in traffic. And and I just immediately go, "What a Dick. Excuse me, but that's what's going through my mind. And 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 that guy is probably a horrible person to work with. I bet he's not even nice to, I want to pull up alongside and see who this person is. I can't believe they did that. What a rude person. 10 minutes later, I'll cut somebody else off and I'll be like, oh my gosh, I didn't know where the exit was. And I just, and I'm in, I'm in a hurry. I'm really late. Oh, I'm not a bad person. I swear. You know, we do this all the time. Yes. And you know, St. Francis, the prayer of St. Francis is Lord, help me to understand more than to be understood well we come out of the womb wanting to be understood more than understanding others so the more we can understand like where a person comes from in life what their personality profile is who they are what's going on in their life the more we can give them grace and rather than judge them try to see where they're coming from and that makes it easier to call them out on things and say hey you're probably having a bad day today tell me about it rather than you're a jerk (laughs)
0: <laughs> right. Yes. We, we tend to just, and I know you, you've you shared this one story of this, this CFO who people always felt like was, was really tight with money. They didn't understand why he did yeah. it. And then they understood his background. They understood, you know, where he came from and his personality type. And then it was like, Oh, okay. That's not, you don't do that because you're trying to be mean or because you don't care about these other things that we care about. It's just part of who you are.
1: Yeah. But that guy. They said, he doesn't trust us. Hmm. And then he did the personal histories and he said, I was dirt poor growing up. I mean, like we didn't have plumbing indoors. We had to go outside to go. And they said, is that why you're so tight with the budget? He goes, absolutely. I just vowed I would never be poor again. That's how I run my family. That's how I run the business. And, and they, they went from thinking, you have an issue with us to, oh, you're wired this way. Now we can actually understand it and call that out and, and, and empathize with you and and move you off where you're at by understanding what went into that. It makes, it's, it's like 180 degree turn. And if you don't understand one another, you can't make that change.
0: Yeah. And this is a perfect segue into this idea of the six types of working genius. So you've created this, this new uh, assessment To help people understand their types of working genius. Where does what can you tell us what the six types of working genius is and where it came from?
1: Yeah, the six types of working genius. Well, let me tell you where it came from first. So for years, I love what I do and I love working at the company, but I was often very frustrated and I didn't know why. And about three months ago, um, I was doing a Zoom call. In fact, it was with like 70 priests and their staff. So like, I don't know, 350 to 500 priests and people that work in, in, in Catholic parishes. And we were teaching them how to manage better and how to pray together and stuff like that. And then afterward, I had a debrief with my team In this organization called the amazing parish and and I had to give them some tough feedback and say hey We could do this better. We could do this better And then after it was over I looked at the whiteboard and I said to amy who was with me I said, you know We need to do something to help the people that listen to our podcast I think we need to connect with them on this and I came up with this new idea And amy turned to me and said why do you do what you do? (laughs) And I said, I don't know But I get it really frustrates some of it. I love some of it. I hate and and I, I feel overwhelmed Oh, wow. And so she and I started talking about it. We walk across the street. Two other colleagues join us in this totally informal conversation. I roll the whiteboard over. The next thing you know, there's these six circles, or, or there were actually three with lines, six half circles. And, <laughs> and I come, came up with this model. I really, I kind of blacked out, I think. I can't recall how it went from that to the whiteboard. But in like an hour or an hour and a half, and this new model comes up. And wow. what it was is we mapped out the six different behaviors or tasks that are involved in getting any of the, anything done. Any Whether you're a project, whether you're a pr- platoon, whether you're on a mission, whether you're running a company or a church or a school, in order to get real things done to work, you, there's six different activities that are necessary. And we realize that everyone, two of those six are what we now call a person's working genius. They're They're naturally good. They have God-given gifts in those areas. They're naturally good at it. They love it. If their job entailed doing just those two things, they would be like, they get energy and joy and they're they're talented. They have two working geniuses. Okay. And we realized that I was working outside of my working genius far too often. Hmm. Two of those six things are actually what we call working frustrations. They're the things that drive us crazy, that we're not good at, most likely and that drain us of energy and joy hmm. and that if you go to work and people make you do them a lot you're just immediately depleted yeah and then two of them are in between their what we call working competencies you can do them maybe even well you don't love it but you can you can manage to do it for a while well if people don't know what their genius is their geniuses are and their frustrations. They can be going to work every day and finding themselves going home and kicking the dog or being really, really unhappy because they're not tapping into the geniuses God gave them. And they're having to do the things that drive them crazy. And most people don't know what their geniuses are. And so, so that's what we came up with. And, and literally Cal, the day we came up with it, I went home and I had a zoom call with some consultants and I, And in the middle of it, I said, Hey, I want to show you guys something. And I drew the six things on the board. The next morning, one of those consultants was with a client and the client was complaining about his own frustration and the team not getting things done. And, and, and my friend, the consultant, Chris said, Hey, let me show you something. He wrote it on the whiteboard and the CEO started to, he cried. Oh my goodness. He was like, oh, this is it. This is what wow. I've been struggling with for years. You wow. finally explained it. They, they've used it to reorganize the team, to change how they tap into one another's strengths. And and th- we found this with our friends and and our colleagues and our clients that we would just tell them about it and they were talking about it and using it. And it was opening up doors for them. And so we realized we were onto something. So since that time, Cody and Matt and Tracy here at my office have been working nonstop on this. And um. And we're we're launching it in this month in October. Oh, wow! And, and and getting out. We've never done anything so quickly because we are so determined to have everyone understand their God given geniuses and to help them avoid having to tap mm. into their God given frustrations as much as they can. So we I'm we are, we've never we think this will be a bigger thing than the five dysfunctions of a team. Wow. Is this how you come up with all of your ideas? (laughs) This, the whiteboard in the moment, is that how you come up with your ideas? You know, it is. I So my two of the geniuses are what's called invention, which is a very narrow thing, like coming up with new things out of nothing and then discernment, which is evaluating new things and and, and tapping into your gut. So I'm not the kind of person that goes, we need to invent something. Let's go do that. I'm sitting in a meeting with my clients and I see a problem and I'm like, why? Why is it that way? Like I remember I used to go to one of my clients and their meetings were terribly boring and I had to go to them and everybody was bored and people listening to this know what that's like. And I remember thinking, this is bad. People are wasting time. They're not happy to be here. Somebody needs to solve this problem. And so I probably just checked out mentally and was sitting there thinking, how can we change meetings? And literally these, I came up with this thing that turned into my book death by meeting and and I'm, I'm sitting there constantly inventing and constantly discerning. And then I talk to my other friends who discern and we discern things together and invent. And that's what I love to do every day. Hmm. But there's four other things that you have to do in getting things done. And I don't love those things. Hmm. And when I have to do them too much, I get pretty pretty drained and pretty miserable.
0: When, did you, when were you able to put words around those two things? Was that in this whiteboard session? That, that, you, okay, that was so in you- June. So you had you you've obviously had these strengths and gifts
1: but you put words around them in this moment you just described. I never knew what it was. Wow. And years ago I used to say you know it would be fun if I could sit in a room and every half hour you'd bring in a new group of people that said we have a problem. And I could go, "Hmm, I have an idea." And I'd propose a solution and then we'd talk about it and we'd shape it and then I'd go, Off with you now. Wow. Somebody will help you implement it. Bring in the next group. And I joked about that, but I never realized those were tapping into my two areas of genius. Yeah. And so what happened was in my company, there's another genius called galvanizing. Yeah. Galvanizing is when you like hear about a great idea and it's already been discerned and you have to get people excited. and You got to cheerlead and you got to recruit them and you got to get them motivated and get them moving. I can do that. Okay. I don't love it. Mm -hmm. nobody else in my company from the founding they hated doing it Mm. that was one of their working frustrations my three from the very beginning kind of co-founders yeah so they always turned to me and said okay pat get everybody going and i was like oh not again wow that's so so tired of rallying the troops that's fascinating and so since then I found Cody who loves galvanizing yeah. and a couple other people in our organization and we've put them in the position of galvanizing. So I don't have to do it quite so much. And it's so liberating for me now.
0: Wow. That, that's so interesting. And, and when I did the assessment and we'll talk through this in just a minute, my lowest two were galvanizing and your strength of invention. So I'm, I'm fascinated by people who are like you, who can just invent and just come up with something out of nothing that fascinates me. Um, Can we, so we've talked about a little bit already. So we talked about invention. We talked about. Well, let's go through yours. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Go through mine. Yeah. So I, uh, I scored highest on wonder and enablement. Those are my two working geniuses. And and
1: that, those are my wife's two working geniuses. So, so the the six go like this. Wonder is the first one. And that is the kind of person who ponders things and says, why are things this way? Should they be this way? Is there a better way? Is there something wrong here? Is there unmet potential here? That's why you're doing this podcast because you're like, there's more people can have more and your curiosity. My wife can sit in that. She'll, she'll say, and Amy, Mike, one of the co-founders here, they say, I can just sit for hours and ponder things. Yes, yes, And some people will say, That's a genius. And it's like, it's absolutely a genius. (laughs) I was with an executive team last week of hardened, high-tech analytical executives of a big technology company. And not a single one of the nine executives had wonder or invention. One guy had invention. and And finally, the CFO, at first, I think they were like, wonder, what's that? And when I finally explained it to them and they looked at their results, the, the chief financial officer of all people said, we don't ponder anything around here. Mm, we don't wow. sit and think about things. We, <laughs> we get on to work and we're like, okay, let's have a goal. Mm. And it's like, we need to sit sometimes for a couple hours and just look around and wonder, could it be better? Yeah. So you do that naturally. Yeah, it's so okay. interesting.
0: Yeah, my wife laughed when I handed her this assessment. She's like, Yes, <laughs> you wonder all the time. And she's right. I, I, I would be interested for her to take it because I I don't think that's
1: something that she naturally naturally gravitates to. Yeah. So my wife does that too. And <laughs> and we used to kind of go, Oh, you're just a dreamer. And it's like, no, if you don't have a wonder on your team or in your environment, you're gonna miss opportunities because mm. somebody has to say, Hey, wait a second, is that really the right way? Now here's the thing though: the wonderer doesn't solve the problem, but they identify it. Yeah. So my wife identifies an issue and then I love the next thing, which is invention. Invention. Which is, oh, let me try to come up with a solution. Let me try to invent something new, a new way to do that. So that's the genius of invention. And that's interesting
0: too, because I I thought when I took this at first that those two would be always connected. I was confused by scoring so low on invention and scoring high on wonder. But that really is an interesting nuance there.
1: Yeah. There's actually no, no connection in terms of people having both at the same time. Some people do. We have a, we have a client who's the CEO of a tech company and that's all he does. He wonders and invents, but after that he gets bored. Yeah. Now see, and the idea. And but here, now here's what's interesting. Inventors invent things, but not everything they invent is good. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so they need the next thing, which is the genius of discernment. Hmm people that have discernment are the ones that have this amazing intuition and instinctual gut feel, and they just evaluate things well. They curate things well. They see things and they go, okay, I I can read between the lines. Yeah, this is a fantastic idea. Mm -hmm. It's not data or linear thinking. It's like, this is fantastic. I have Mm -hmm. a gut feel that this will work. Or- I have a really bad feeling about this, mm-hmm. or, Hey, I think there's a couple of things missing that let's talk about that. And so they're the kind of people that provide great feedback and they iterate with the inventor. Discernment is huge and it's not linear, but people know, like it, some people just have great judgment. You go to them and you, you say, Hey, um, what do you think of this? Like we have a woman in our office, Tracy, and you just know that when she gives you feedback, it's not because she's an expert in something. She just has great judgment hmm. in almost anything. So that's discernment. That's the third. But once you discern, and I have that one too, but what I don't have is the next one very well, and that's galvanizing. Because once you discern something, somebody's got to get it moving. Yeah, I can do it, but I don't like to. It drains me. And And galvanizers are the ones that say, okay, I'm going to, I'm gonna start organizing people to move. And you can think in the military, it's like, okay, we got the plan. Yes. Somebody said, this isn't a safe environment. Okay, I have a plan. Okay, let's, let's go through that plan. Okay, that's a great plan. Somebody has to say, okay, everybody, let's get together and let's figure out, we need to recruit people for this part of the mission. We need to get everybody bought into this. We need to get people psyched about it. We need to keep them on, on top of it. Mm-hmm. There's people that love to do that. And, and that's a gift, yeah. that's a gift. But then we need the next gift, which is one of yours, is the gift of enablement. And enablement really is a genius. And it's a wonderful thing. Now, some people say enabling is bad because they think about it like enabling an alcoholic or a drug addict. (laughs) Enabling people around something good is fantastic. And this is a person who says, you've pitched me on this. You've told me it's important. I actually believe it's important. I'm going to help. I will come alongside you. And help you make this real i will help you get this off the ground i am going to serve you in the way that you need to be served okay that's not just because you're a kind person it's not because you're willing to do things other people want you to it's actually a gift and like i will tell you and it's hard to admit this as a christian i'm not good at this one when someone comes to me and says will you help me with something you know what i do I, tr- I'm like, well, why do you need me to help you with that? And they tell me and I go, let me invent a better way to do it. <laughs> and sometimes that's great. Sometimes it's not appropriate. My wife will be like, I just want you to help me clean the garage. <laughs> can you just help me clean the garage? Ben? <laughs> and, and can you do it the way I want to do it? And it's really, I mean, I have to muster up every bit of muscle I can to do it for her the way she wants. And this is not an excuse, but it's an explanation that, a really bad job for me is responding to the needs of others on their terms. Mm, Yeah. I'm a very generous person, but I often have to do it in a way that corresponds to the way I think it needs to be done. And that's a limitation for me.
0: Yeah.
1: So enablement. And then the last one, Cal is the genius of tenacity, which is some people just love to finish everything. It's not so much about helping somebody else. It's about, I'm going to make sure it gets done and that, We we cross the finish line, we dot the I's, we cross the T's, and we get the results. And that's not mine either. That's one of my weaknesses. So so it goes like this wonder, invention, discernment, galvanizing, enabling, and then tenacity.
0: And what are your other where do
1: you fall? So you mentioned your top two. What are your where do your other four fit? So my my top two, I like to invent and discern. Yep. I can wonder. But not for very long, but I can play in there okay. and I can galvanize when I have to. Okay. I can't, I'm terrible at enablement and tenacity. So, okay. like when I write a book, Cal, I have an editor, Tracy. She is really good at enablement and pretty good at tenacity. To finish. And so, when I write a book, I, I'll send her, I'll, I'll, i write with, for her every day and I send her stuff. But at the end, I'll just, okay, I wrote the ending and she'll go, the ending's terrible, Pat. <laughs> we need to finish I mail. This. I, I'm like, okay, I'm bored. I don't want to finish. And she's like, no, 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 no try again. And like three times later, she's like, I'm going to make you finish this. So how has this, and
0: you mentioned that, but how, how else has this impacted the way you run your organization?
1: So, so we've learned to appreciate the wonder. Amy is a wonder and we have some other people in the organization and we, we realized that when they have angst about something, they're not being difficult. They're actually using their gift. Hmm. They're like, I'm noticing something not good. They're not being naysayers. They're serving us by saying, wait a sec, you guys, I think there's, there's more here, right? I've also learned that I know how I have to invent, but I have to turn off the eye. Sometimes people will say to me, Pat, we don't need your eye right now. <laughs> <laughs> we're kind of beyond the I stage. We just need to get this going. Yeah. And I have to be able to. So what it happens at our office is we clarify with one another. Like I'll go to somebody and say, hey, you guys, we should do this. And they'll say, are you eyeing me? Or are you G-ing me? Are you trying to get me to do something? Or are you actually throwing it out there and you want my opinion? Hmm. So we're able to know what the purpose of our conversation is. So, because some people want to run off like an E will run off. I'll say, I have this idea and they'll go, okay, I'm going to do it. I'll be like, no, I don't want your E. I want your D. I want your discernment. Please help me. I don't know if it's a good idea yet. And they were ready to run off and do something for me. (laughs) So it helps us know where we are in the process of getting things done so we can tap into one another, or I can say, okay, you guys, you need my tea right now. You know, I don't like to, but I'm going to do it. But no, this is hard for me. I have to do it for you. So it, it just gives us permission to be more overt about whether we're doing something we love or something we don't. So let's say, Pat,
0: so I I lead I have the privilege of leading a, a team of about 20 people. It's prosecutors and paralegals. And if you were to come to my team-
1: You're like Tom Cruise in A Few Good Men, right?
0: Oh, basically, yeah. I mean, that's yeah. it. Exactly like that. Awesome. <laughs> and uh, so if you were to come to my office and you were to use this, how would you encourage me to use this on my team? Like what we, we would go through the- the process of doing the assessments, I assume, but what would we do next and how would I
1: use this on my team? Well, the first thing you do is you, you just talk about it together and people would would laugh just like your wife did because <laughs> it explains, you're like, oh my gosh, people would go, no wonder you, you did such a great job on that project. Oh, and you were really depressed when we had to do that thing for two weeks and it explains a lot. So, the first thing is you just get the, the you get the the realization that this, this makes sense. And that's what we love about this tool in 15 minutes after doing the assessment and reading the results, people are immediately applying it. And, and what happens is people stop feeling guilty about things. Like I always felt guilty that I I wasn't good at this. Now I understand it's not naturally a gift of mine, or I've always judged other people that weren't good at this. Now I realize I'm good at it, but that's not their gift. So it, it reduces guilt and judgment on the team. And then people start to go, okay, given that this is our collective reality, maybe we should go about preparing for cases a little differently, like lawyers, like there's no one type to be a lawyer. Yeah. Right. And there's very different things that go on if you have a big case. And some people love like the tenacity of I'm going to do the research, I'm going to get it finished, we got a deadline, I'm not going to leave any stone unturned. And somebody else is going to be like, can you just come up with an approach to this and I'll react to it and give you my gut feel about it. They're all valid and they're all needed, mm-hmm. but very often discerners will kind of discredit the tenacity people and the tenacity people will criticize the wonderers. And, and when you realize all of these are necessary and they're all geniuses, people start appreciating one another, tapping into one another's strengths and reorganizing the work to allow people to spend more of their time in their genius and less in their frustration.
0: I love this, Pat. And it, it makes me think about some of the other things you've talked about, which is humility, this idea of yeah. being honest about what you're good at. You've talked to you kind of educated me on a different type of humility of, it, it means acknowledging, hey, I'm actually good at this, but I'm not really that good at this other thing. Yeah. And then it's also in five dysfunctions, you talk about this, this the beauty of having a team view of success, not just my ego, my desire <laughs> to look good or my, my you know performance review but it's collectively and i tell my team all the time it's not about you being right it's about us collectively getting it right
1: and i think that really makes a big difference so if, so if go ahead Pat, let, let me give you some insight about yours so your top three are wonder and in and, and enablement and yeah. you've got perfect scores in those it looks like and then perfect. you're also good at discernment hmm. you have good judgment and, and tenacity. Those are, I mean, you're 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 and that's in your working competency. Mm-hmm. But your top three are all what we call responsive geniuses, not disruptive geniuses. Mm-hmm. So in other words, wonder, enablement, and discernment are looking at things as they are or that people bring to you and responding to those. The other three, your weakest ones, are what's called disruptive geniuses, which is forcing your will upon others, right? Mm-hmm. And so you are not what you don't want to go into a situation and make others conform to what you want, mm-hmm. you are not going to initiate that as quickly. And, and so you can look at that and go, Oh my goodness. So you guys, I need to make sure other people are initiating things and pushing things. And then I will respond to their needs, whether it's, they need judgment, whether they need support, whether they need deep thinking. And so it's good for you to know that. And I, I wonder it if your good. wife doesn't have some more of the disruptive ones, which are more like, yeah. And, and what a great thing in a marriage to go, oh, wow, that's why when we plan a vacation, yeah. I have to push us to put it on the calendar, yeah. but then I will propose it, Cal, and you'll go, well, let me think about this.
0: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And you know where I think that comes from, Pat? So I, my parents divorced when I was about four, and they both remarried other people. And great, uh, I had great, great parents, great step-parents. Uh, great families, but I bounced back and forth between two families. On so one family, I was the oldest, one family, I was the middle child. And so I just learned to just always make peace. And I've, right. never, I, I've always had this hesitancy to disrupt because my whole life was kind of disrupted on yeah. its own. Uh, so over time, I've always been the nice guy. I've always been the guy who's willing to help. Uh, I've always kind of been a wonderer, like, hey, how can, I, how can I make this better? but I've always struggled. Even in ranger school, I remember Pat sitting in ranger school and really being tired, being hungry, <laughs> but I needed in a leadership position to get people moving. I needed to galvanize people. And I really struggled with that.
1: I wow. really struggled with that. And what a great thing to look back and go, oh, that's just the, the person God made me. Yeah. And it wasn't a defect. In fact, the fact that you learned how to do it, even when yeah. you didn't want to, we all have to do some things in life we don't want to. Yeah. But we shouldn't put our position, ourselves in a position to do them all the time. Yeah. And so you can look back, gosh, this predicts so much about you. Like as a manager, I can tell you right now, you're really thoughtful and you're really supportive and you like to counsel your people if they need help. You're always yeah. available to them. Yep. But they might say, but you know something, sometimes we need him to kick people's butt. Yes. He's a little bit reluctant to do that. So true, yes. And so yes. you look at this and right away you can look, I think people should use this honestly. for hiring and staffing. Like, so we hired my son, Matthew. I've known him for all 22 years of his life. (laughs) And we hired his buddy, Liam. They're great fits for our culture. We hired good kids. They're humble, hungry, smart. But we were like, what are they going to work on when they get here? Well, we came up with this tool Hmm. a month before they joined. We had them do it. And we realized Matthew has really great discernment and enablement. He's not terribly different than you. We put him on a, on a project of lots of thinking and helping us through some really heady things. He has shined, taken right, off, right out of the gate. Liam is good at galvanizing and tenacity. We put him on a project that was going to require him to ride herd on people to get things done. He's a 22-year-old kid who's now actually pushing people on his team who are 20 years older than him to make sure they stay on top of what they're doing. Now, we would have never put a 22-year-old in that role, but he's good at galvanizing and he loves it. Yeah. But the people that are 20 years older than him don't like to do that. So they said, Liam, we want you to kick our butt. (laughs) He's like, really, me? He's like, yeah, you're good at it. (laughs) They are using their God-given geniuses, regardless of how old they are, regardless of their experience. And that's what this is all about. It's so liberating because I, I really want to be good at
0: galvanizing. I really want to love galvanizing. I just, I don't, I'm not no. that good at it. I don't like it. I'll do it when I have to. So you're right. It's like this permission to lean into what you're really good at and permission yeah. for other people to say, you know what? I just don't enjoy that. And I think it also is important because it gets at fulfillment. People are more fulfilled when they're doing the
1: things that they really enjoy and they're better at. Right. Liberating and fulfilling. I love those words. Mm. You know, there are generals in the army that don't love to galvanize, but you know what they are good at? They know themselves and they know how to raise up galvanizers around them. Right. And then they limit their galvanizing to the galvanizers maybe. Yeah. Then there's others who love to galvanize everyone. (laughs) And so, and they, and when, when they understand, so it's, there's not one way to lead a battalion or a troop or a, a church, a school or a company. There's just not, or a family. Hey, you know what's an interesting thing, Cal? So there's two people in a marriage. That's The law currently still says that. We'll see how that is, you know, <laughs> going forward. It's kind of scary. Like, <laughs> there'll be five of them pretty soon. But, but anyway, so there's two people in a marriage. And that means, at best, they have four of the six geniuses.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: If you have any overlap, you might have only three or two. My wife and I have, have three, mm. Okay one of the things she, neither of us like to do it's in our working um frustration is tenacity we don't like to finish things we love to have big talks we we <laughs> we love to wonder and invent together and discern we can do that all day long she's super enabling i galvanize if i don't have if i have to neither of us like tenacity we both it's what, what's misery for us yeah it has been the source of struggle in our marriage we've been married 28 years now when we did this we were like well it's no wonder we're like i thought you were going to do that i thought you were going to do that oh i don't want to do that can't you do that (laughs) and it allowed us to 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 go laura let's outsource as much of the tenacity as we can you're not a bad mother or a bad wife i'm not a bad husband or a spouse it's just that this is the god-given weakness that we have yeah and yet we try to force ourselves to do it and when we do it we lose our joy So it just explained things that we kind of already knew, but we didn't actually name. So anyway, every marriage is going to have different strengths and weaknesses. So planning a vacation, getting kids their applications done for college, buying a new house, man, you can predict the stresses you're going to have. Mm. And and it really helps. It really helps in a marriage.
0: Yeah, man. And I, I, I can't wait for my wife to take this. And I'm so excited about this, Pat. This is awesome. Uh, I know that people are going to be excited about it. Where should they go to learn about
1: this or to find, more, find out more about it? Our our um, website is called workinggenius.com. There's two G's in there, workinggenius.com. Okay. And uh, and, I, and we have a discount so they can do it for 50% off. So just put in capital letters, C-A-L, Cal. And you, so it costs 25 bucks. We, we We really wanted to make it low because... We want everybody to, we want people to have their kids go through it when they're in college or in high school. We want people to do it at home. We want people to do it in any business, small business, churches, whatever else. So we priced it at $25 an assessment, which is the report and everything else. But if you put in Cal, C-A-L, it's $12.50. We just can't wait to get stories from people who finally understand, this is what I meant to do. I don't have to feel guilty. I don't have to judge others. I can introduce this to my team or my family and start to feel, as you said, liberated and fulfilled in work. So we are so excited.
0: I'm so glad, Pat, that uh, God gave you the gifts that you have. And I'm glad that you're using them. I'm glad that your team is using them as well. It's so awesome to to see the work you're doing. I have personally benefited from it tremendously. My wife has her companies that she's worked for. So I just want to thank you. And thank you so much for being so generous with your time today. And and by the way, I'm going to put everything that Pat has mentioned on my website and the show notes for this at calwalters.me. Just go check that out. Uh, but Pat, again, thank you well, so much for, for the time. I want to
1: say one final thing, Cal. I've, I've, I've been on a lot of podcasts and we do our podcast too, but you're, 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 you're fantastic. I'm, I'm just thinking, man, I don't listen to a lot because I'm busy, but yours is one I want to keep listening to. And I'm going to ask your audience to do something. I'm going to ask everyone in your audience to tell one other person they know to listen to your podcast. Because what you're doing, you're really good at this. And you're, you're, um, gosh, what's the right word? The tone of what this is about and the questions you ask and the way you think through it. This is one that I want my kids to listen to. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to tell my wife about. So I want everybody that's listening to just go introduce this week, one person to this podcast, because more, I want a lot of people to hear what you have to say. Wow. Wow, Pat. Thank you so much. It's, it's, I mean that. So, hey, thanks for having me on, Cal. It's been a total, it's been a joy.
0: Well, my pleasure, Pat. And uh, I look forward to staying connected. Thank you so much for this uh, incredible opportunity for me. All right. God bless, buddy. All right, Pat. Take care. Hey, everyone. Wow. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Can't you tell that he loves what he's doing and that he was made to do this? Wow. As you head out, please go to workinggenius.com, just workinggenius2gs.com. Type in my name, Cal, as to get that discount code. Take the assessment, and then let me know your results. Shoot me an email, cal at calwalters.me, cal at calwalters.me. Let me know what you think about your results. I would just love to hear you process, as we just did, your results and what that tells you about yourself. For me, this process was truly liberating. And here, Pat, kind of talk about me as a leader really helped me realize there, I have some strengths. I have a lot of weaknesses. I have some things I really love to do, and I have some things that I'll do, but they really do cause me frustration. So I'd love to hear how this assessment affected you. If you haven't checked out some of Pat's books, I highly recommend them. You can start with his most popular book, The Five Dysfunctions of a Team, or you can check out his most recent book, The Motive. All of his books are really easy reads and they're packed with simple yet profound truths about creating healthy teams and healthy organizations. As he says on this podcast, he is all about changing the world of work so that more organizations can be more effective and less dysfunctional than employees can be more fulfilled and less miserable. As leaders, we have to set the tone by being self-aware about our strengths and our weaknesses. And as Pat said, it has to start with us. So go out there today and make your unique contribution. Remember that life is short. We only have one. So let's go make it count.